It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do, that's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Join Bloomberg in San Francisco or virtually on May 7th for The Future Investor, Data-Powered Transformations. This 2024 event series will examine how data is not only playing a pivotal role in investment decisions, but serves as a driving force behind the construction of innovative, investable enterprises. This series is proudly sponsored by Invesco QQQ. Register at BloombergLive.com slash FutureInvestor slash radio. And that, what, yeah. Alex, what are the WhatsApp like? Are there like a lot of emojis? <laughs> There's a lot of emojis. Are there? Um, yeah. Fascinating. Maybe the head, brain explosion one. Like a brain a explosion. That's a good one. Brain explosion. Yeah. Wait, how many times are there, like, how many brain explosions were there on that WhatsApp? I've had a lot of uh, vomit emojis vomit. as well. That's, yeah. that's one that's come up a lot. Of yeah. just the idea of whatever person taking over. Oh, really? Um, oh, yeah. The, it, it, I honestly think the problem is... 12 years they all, yeah. hate, they all hate each other yeah. they've yeah. all got personal reasons to hate each other yeah. and when you're at the start of a government you know generally you might not like someone but you haven't really got lots of reasons to hate people vis- viscerally and these lot just hate yeah. each other yeah that's such a good point and, and I, I thought that was really good Dave shall we try this again? I think we better yes <laughs> so a little over 24 hours ago we sat down and actually taped what we thought was a fantastic episode yes. with Catherine Griffiths, a Bloomberg editor on our finance team and UK government reporter Alex Wickham. We picked over the potential for Liz Truss's future, the outlook of our promises for the city. We all placed bets on when Liz Truss would resign. Should, but, should we take bets on when she goes? I've already lost a bet. I have a bet, Dave. I've already about, lost it. The lettuce is okay. winning, right? Alex, <laughs> when do you think she goes? Um, I think... This week, today well, or tomorrow. Before Sunday, before <laughs> well, Saturday. Yeah, before Saturday would be my bet. But I think today. Knows. You think today? Dave? One more day, Freaky Friday. For the podcast. <laughs> Hang on one more day so we get this podcast out. <laughs> yes, please, Liz. <laughs> She's listening, I know, so it'll be fine. But Liz Trust did not hang on one more day. We couldn't get the episode out because Trust delivered her final goodbye. That's right, she beat us to it. And although... We did all know it was coming at some point. We weren't sure how quickly, because the point Alex made yesterday in the conversation, what is still true now, is that there is actually no obvious or clear successor at this point. So that's it. We're back with even more to unpack and with the hopes that no major bombshells will be dropped before this podcast is published. Yeah, so our editor better get moving, get it out. I'm Francine Lacquan, the London studio. And I'm David Merritt, back from Washington, not quite in the London studio. Yeah, but you made it back in time. This is In the City, Bloomberg's podcast, connecting you to the stories and the voices at the heart of the City of London. In this week, what is going on in Westminster? That's all anyone is talking about. And do any of the Tory MPs raising their hand to be the next Prime Minister 
really excite the City of London. So with us again, Catherine Griffiths, Bloomberg editor on our finance team and the winner of yesterday's bet on the timing of Liz Truss's departure. Catherine, you probably regret we didn't have a very expensive or not so expensive bottle of wine on this bet. I definitely regret that. <laughs> and in for Alex Wickham, who's knee deep in writing about all of the drama, is another brilliant reporter from our government team, Ellen Milligan. We know the rules now of how the voting goes. I mean, they're, they're trying to be pragmatists instead of, you know, the, the, the big ideology maybe that we've seen in the past from the Tory party. And they want to get this done fast. There were two really key details in the rules that were announced. One, the candidates have to get at least 100 MPs backing them. That means there's only a maximum of three people who can enter the race. And it also means that they have got a long way to go until Monday, 2pm, when votes close, to garner that support. And really, that means that the big beasts, Boris Johnson, Rishi Sunak, Penny Mordaunt, who have gone through this leadership race again, all three of them have got more than 100 MP votes in previous leadership elections. They're probably going to be the most likely ones to go through. The other thing which is really unusual is that on Monday, they're going to do an indicative vote where MPs can vote from those three who they want to win. Mm. Now that isn't binding, but it's indicative of what MPs want. And I think that is to bounce whoever becomes second, maybe third in that vote into dropping out and Mm. not letting the race go in any longer, not letting it go to the membership and making sure that we have a prime minister on Monday. It's quite remarkable, isn't it? Because, you know, we just we all went through this, didn't we? All summer, weeks and weeks and weeks of it being told this is the process that we need to identify the right leader. And turns out we can just do it in three days. I mean, it just kind of doesn't undermine all of the all of the rules that we were told were, you know, absolutely necessary. The Conservative Party, they just sort of make it up as they go along, don't they? They do. And I mean, it's designed like this to kind of give stability to the Conservative Party, but also the country as quickly as possible, not have this long drawn out period. If it doesn't go to the membership, only Conservative MPs are going to decide who our next Prime Minister is. I mean, this happened in the Labour Party, didn't it, as well? These rules of having the members choose, you can sometimes end up with a, you know, someone who doesn't work out, right? That's the problem. It depends who you ask. I mean, the membership, if if you look at those three I mentioned, Penny Mordaunt, Boris Johnson, Rishi Sunak, the membership still love Boris Johnson. I think the um, if it does go to membership, the indicative vote of the MPs will actually have a different result to what the membership will. So Dave, I had this brilliant conversation with Tory MP Carl McCartney. He's backing Boris Johnson. He's also been on the 1922 committee for all but two days. So this is what he said about Boris Johnson. Ultimately, he's the best electoral asset that the Conservative Party has. And for the past three, four months, all I've ever had from my constituents in my marginal seat in Lincoln is that they want to see Boris back. And that's whether I'm business in businesses and speak to business people, whether that's constituents who I meet shopping in the various different supermarkets or even filling up my car. But not one person has come to me and said, we're really pleased that you got rid of Boris Johnson. Oh, and Boris Johnson, really? He can really be back? You know what? Last night, I didn't think he could get enough MP support to be put on the ballot but he's now garnered just just under the amount of support that Rishi Sunak has Ben Wallace has just announced that he's leaning towards Boris Johnson and that he's definitely not running he's quite a big force he's very respected in the party and it feels like it could happen the thing with Boris is he isn't 
electoral powerhouse. I mean, he got the biggest um, eighty seat majority in in a in a generation in twenty nineteen, and he still people still think he holds that magic, mm-hmm. even though the, the polls the were polls. declining against yeah. him when when he was leaving office. But also, <laughs> Liz Truss's handling of the economy, I think, make can make people look back and think. All he did was really party in the pandemic sometimes. It kind of relatively has almost kind of almost made him into this martyr figure among some people and some conservatives. But uh, he's <laughs> I mean, I have so many questions. <laughs> but he's 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 toxic. He's toxic for the party. He's probably their most divisive option to pick in terms of being able to unify the party. We've had um MPs saying that they would resign as an MP if he, if he was chosen and cause a by-election. I mean, that those are really strong words. And he's got this privileges committee into whether he lied to parliament over the Partygate scandal. If he's found guilty and if he's suspended for more than 10 parliamentary days, if there is a vote and that it could trigger a by-election for him, I mean, it, it could be chaos, a, a continuation of chaos if he's elected. And there's so many people, Dave, you know, that say he's just not the antidote to this chaos within Parliament. Catherine, how would business interpret this? I mean, if Boris Johnson becomes Prime Minister on Monday, what does the city think? I think the city probably thinks, first of all, it's good to have a Prime Minister who is there for hopefully a while. Boris Johnson is a, is a funny character for the city because on the one hand he has he's been backed by some fairly rich city people who hoped he would bring about lots of Brexit dividend reforms but he didn't actually do it and someone made a really interesting point to me when you look back through the many many thousands of words Boris Johnson wrote as a journalist he hardly ever talked about markets or the economy he's basically not that interested in all of that side of things so I think that the city and business more generally would be probably more pleased to see undoubtedly more pleased to see Boris Johnson as Prime Minister than Liz Liz Truss although there is certainly a contingent that was was on Liz Truss's side and was hoping that she would bring about the things they wanted but um, I think the city will be mainly looking for who is the Chancellor is it Jeremy Hunt or is it someone else? Do you think there's a groundswell of support for Rishi Sunak or will there be a huge amount of relief if finally I mean we've had the the Liz interlude and the chaos that provoked but if finally they get Rishi Sunak in 10 Downing Street, will the city actually breathe a huge sigh of relief? I think the city will, because he has certainly in his own campaign to become the leader. Of course, he he was the voice of, of caution, wasn't he? And obviously he's now kind of garnered by this sense that he was right all along type thing. And I think people who have followed his policies quite closely, are of the view he's quite cautious, that yes, sort of counterintuitively really, despite the fact that he's worked for Goldman Sachs and hedge funds, that he was very keen to balance the books and and be very, very cautious. But there will be people out there who think that if he comes back, he will kind of scupper the more dramatic bold attempts to sort of make the UK's rules, you know, properly suit the UK. He's come to be seen as a sort of stick in the mud to all of those plans, he and John Glenn, who used to be the city minister. So there'll be some people out there who are a bit worried about that. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. 
Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Ellen, if we oversimplify, is this really a choice for the party? On the one hand, if they elect Boris Johnson, there's a chance that he can win them the next general election in two years. But on the other hand, if they elect someone else, Penny Mordaunt or Rishi Sunak, then they have almost a technocratic government. They could keep the chancellor. And so the markets will you know, have a sigh of relief. There's two big questions that MPs are asking themselves when they're considering who to back. One, who can win them the next election or give them the best chance to, considering they're trailing so disastrously far behind in the polls. And two, who can unify the party so that the Conservative Party isn't completely destroyed from the inside. Boris Johnson, I think a lot of people say he's probably the gives them the best chance electorally although there's so many there's so many things that labor can attack him on that they that they started to um towards the end of his tenure but he's probably the worst in terms of being able to unify the party rishi sunak Truss's backers still really don't like Rishi Sunak. There was all those blue-on-blue attacks, the nastiness over the summer um, that still kind of play against him. And then Penny Morden is able to get a lot of support from different factions in the party, but a lot of people question whether she's had enough experience, whether she's um, impressed people enough when she has been in ministerial positions. Um, so those are the two big questions. In fact, Catherine, it was interesting what you were saying about Jeremy Hunt earlier, because I think he could hold the key to who gets in, because I think people will want to, maybe not Boris Johnson, seeing as they ran against each other for the leadership in 2019, but I think Penny Morden and Rishi Sunak will be fighting to have a joint ticket um, with Jeremy Hunt. He's managed to calm the market since he's come in um, the argument will be we need a degree of stability in the treasury um, so that the October 31st fiscal statement can go ahead for example he's done a good job so far at calming things down and I think he, whoever he backs could hold the key Yeah I, I just think those two questions really are just so important Ellen and this, on the second one though I guess my thought is you know, with all of them, with all of the backstabbing and the infighting uh, that we've seen, the vitriol being poured around, this this is a party at each other's throats. It doesn't feel like any of those people are going to be able to calm down the party enough to hold a government together to get to that point to answer the first question, which is whether or not they can win an election. Is this kind of a party actually in terminal decline at the moment? And they just need to go into opposition. You know, I talked to some MPs who say you know what, we're just going to have to accept that this time we might have to go with our second or our third choice and we just have to uh, grin and bear it. 
And then I talk to others who say, you know, that they might resign from um, the parliamentary party if if certain people are in. Catherine, we also spoke to you know, Vince Cable, and he was talking about how Boris Johnson is still a very, you know, decisive but divisive figure that because of his conduct issues. Well, I, I would worry about the consequences so for several reasons. I mean, he's a very divisive figure um, in the country. Uh, and I, I would imagine within the Tory party, though I'm not a conservative myself, I think we need to remember that only a few months ago, um, a majority of his parliamentary colleagues uh, threw him out as unsuited to lead the country. Again, when you talk about the City of London, are they just fed up with the Tories because they say, look, they're putting once again party before country? And what does that mean for how business friendly they think Labour is? Yeah, they really are fed up with the Tories. What's been quite striking in the last few weeks is when you talk to really senior people inside big financial institutions, they tend to be quite measured, even if they're speaking off the record. They don't really like talking about politics a great deal and certainly not about individuals. But there has been an absolute fury amongst some of these very senior um, bankers and people in other firms they think that in other walks of life, these people would have had to be held accountable. They would have been sacked much more quickly. You know, it's a real absolute sort of white hot fury that you see in their faces. And it's I, I haven't really seen it before in all my years of reporting. Talking about the white hot fury of, the, of bankers is remarkable. And you know, is there anything that the government can do to assuage that? I mean, what are the main measures that the next administration need to put in place to, to steady the ship and reassure the City of London that things are going to get better? They absolutely want stability and clear plans. They know the economic reality is tough. Um, and actually, in some ways, I think they're of the view that a lot of these difficult things were coming down the path anyway, higher interest rates, meaning higher mortgage costs for their for customers. But, you know, the Tory party in a sort of act of self-sabotage has really sort of owned those problems in a way that they might, they might not have to have done. But in terms of policy, they want, they really do want stability and fiscal prudence because they think that that might mean that the Bank of England does not in fact have to raise rates by quite as much as it would otherwise have to do. And that will have a really material impact on people who have mortgages, people who have loans and the wider economy. And then I think they do want a sort of sensible, thought out set of ideas for how, in fact, there can be investment in this country. They're obviously extremely keen to to be part of that story. They just want to see stability so they can get on with it. But Catherine, where does this stability come from? So again, it's the same party, but you saw Liz Truss who lasted 44 days with radical economic plans, frankly. So if you're looking at the policies and we don't know them because they don't have time to campaign between Penny Mordaunt Boris Johnson and Rishi Sunak, how different are they? I think I think they have a sense of what Rishi Sunak would be like. They've seen, obviously, Boris Johnson in action, and I think they probably think that can be navigated. I think they honestly have no idea what Penny Mordaunt would be like whatsoever. But increasingly, when you do speak to business and the city, they say they're not really bothering with any of the Tories. They are engaging with the Labour Party. They are talking to... Uh, Rachel Reeves, they are 
pretty encouraged by Keir Starmer. And something I was really struck by, I had a conversation with someone who works at a big private equity firm and they made exactly this point that they were only engaging with the Labour Party at the moment. And I said, well, you know, but what if Starmer comes in and they do do a wealth tax or they hike up the inheritance tax? You know, what actually do you think about that? And they said... The view inside their firm, which is made up of lots of American people, lots of people from the continent, was that it's okay as long as it's not really egregious, not really sort of outside the norms of what they think are acceptable, they would prefer to see a Labour government. That's a pragmatic bunch, aren't they, really? <laughs> they sort of work with what they... <laughs> A pragmatic bunch. And, and, you know, this firm in particular, they're, then they're holding back on investment in the UK until they know what the hell's going on. So, mm. you know, for, for the UK's growth, that's absolutely terrible. The really tricky thing that the Tories have at the moment is Jeremy Hunt has been able to calm markets because he's rode back on those tax cuts, which would have required a lot of borrowing. And spending cuts are now on the cards. And that and that calms markets because it means less borrowing, but it's politically really tricky for them. So getting that balance right between continuing to calm the markets and, and can't they still need to cut they have some way to go to really calm them more, but also not politically damaging themselves so much that they're making spending cuts to the NHS and to police and these things which to be honest might be required if they want to fill that hole that they really need to um, and that balance I think is going to be really really hard to strike on October 31st if indeed it still happens at the end of the month. If it happens. So we've had 44 days frankly of chaos on the markets. Is there a belief Catherine that the I guess extreme right extreme left on both parties is now shaken out because they do have to to you know work in the parameter of the markets yes I think that's one sort of slight positive perhaps that there's a perception that on the left um, we've gone through a period when the kind of Corbynites were in the ascendant and that absolutely horrified business in the city but actually also on the right I think there's a lot of sort of views in mainstream finance that they thought the the voices that people like Liz Truss and Kwasi Kwarteng were listening to were extremely unhelpful for the kind of UK's long-term prospects that they had sort of fairly niche ideas about what they claimed Brexit meant but didn't necessarily actually serve the the wider interests of the country to do with sort of tax cuts for non-doms and all sorts of um, libertarian small smaller state ideas so I do think that in mainstream finance they think that if those people can be cut out as a as a result of all of this political chaos that's a good thing. Ellen, you have to indulge me because I know we're all obsessed with politics and the economy and markets, but I'm also obsessed with WhatsApp groups of the Conservative Party. They have emojis. I mean, do we know what... Alex Wickham was telling us yesterday that, the, you know, they would kind of send names to each other of who could run or who could be chancellor. And there were a lot of, like, exploding brain emojis and a lot of vomit emojis. Vomit, vomit, right. <laughs> I, I have one unnamed MP who pretty much only communicates with me by emojis. <laughs> there's very colourful language as well in Conservative Party WhatsApp groups. And there's a lot of exploding heads. I had a... Um, 
an ex-minister send me an exploding head after she resigned. No one saw it coming that quickly. And I just... <laughs> I hope you're saving the melon. We should I make a it. kind of, you know, make Dave, a This is how I communicate with Dave, but I'm a journalist. Yeah. So he's like, what, just you can't write of, in sentences? Well, you just send emojis? <laughs> you know, the, those word clouds that polling companies have been doing, they should yes. do that with purely emojis mm. and see, yeah, see which one. Yeah, with a big vomit one at the middle. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the future. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's In the City. We'll be back next week. But in the meantime, if you like our show, please head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and rate, review and subscribe. Also, sign up now for our newsletter, The Readout with Allegra Stratton on Bloomberg.com slash newsletters or check out the show notes for a link. And you know what else you should now sign up for? Our new daily newsletter, Money Distilled where Bloomberg UK's John Stepek explains what market moves mean for your money. This episode was hosted by me, Francine Lacroix. And me, David Merritt. It was produced by Summer Sadi. Special thanks to Catherine Griffiths, Ellen Milligan and Alex Wickham. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street. The promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, Top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.